0: Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpen Radio. This week, we spoke to a Pulitzer Prize winning poet, heard nude music from Chicago's top country musician, and dove into Judaica. All this and more, plus the Trump Diaries on Lumpen Week in Review for May 19, 2017. <laughs>
1: Mario Smith spoke with Tahimba Jess, winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry, with his 2016 book, Oleo. Jess spoke to Smith about motorcycles, the minstrel show, and the great musician Lead Belly. News from the service entrance with Mario Smith airs every Thursday from 2 to 4 p.m.
2: Joining me in the studio, um, I, I don't know where to start, man. I met Tahim Jess in the 90s at a club called Spices that we will definitely talk about a little bit more. He was right. pushing a book uh, that that would change how I viewed myself as a poet and as a writer, and he's just an amazing cat, and 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 uh, he just won a Pulitzer Prize. And the only reason why I'm laughing <laughs> is because I remember those nights in the 90s so and, do I. and going to Tempo and <laughs> yep. eating at the Spices and hanging yeah. out, and then you wake up one day, you're like, my friend want a what? <laughs> um, for the, for the amazing book Oleo that we will also talk about, it's but Bajess.
3: What's up, Detroit's finest <laughs> in the building. hey man? It's What's good up? to be here, Mario. has been so this is, long, yeah. It's, it's been, been a long time, it's been a minute. It's been man. a long time.
2: Last time I saw you and I looked at the picture the other day, you were in front of what was Third World Cafe and uh-huh. you were on your motorcycle, yeah. And I hadn't seen you in a long time, yeah. That's right, before that's
3: that. Right. That's why, I, that's why I was on 53rd Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Right, I hadn't right, seen right. you in a long time before that. Right. And that, you're was like, like, eight, that was
2: in 0908, something, something like that. that. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, man, I ride across the country. Yeah. I just ride my bike. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> nice bike. You still got it? Yeah. Wow. Nice. Wife let you ride it? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's in storage, though. It's back in Brooklyn. It's in storage. Okay.
3: Man. I had to leave it in the, in New
2: York. Wow. So I would ask you what's been going on, but clearly you've been doing it. <laughs> what is that That's like right. to get that call that says you won the Pulitzer Prize? Well,
3: there was no call, man. Oh, really? There was no call. They I James found Comey'd out- you? <laughs> <laughs> you found out why you were I in I found the- out at the, well, at the moment that they announced it. Oh, wow. I didn't know that it had been uh, a, a, a runner-up or anything like I didn't know that it was in the running at all. Really? Until a friend of mine, Patrick Rosal, texted me, said, Pulitzer Black. And I said, Why, what? And I question marked him back. <laughs> then I looked on the website, and they were in the midst of announcing it. You know, they were live streaming Oh, it, wow. And I saw them announce the, the name of the book, and I was like, oh, my
2: God. Can yeah. you give me, without cursing, the- <laughs> What is that like to? Because that's like, a, it's not the Nobel Peace Prize, clearly, but it's on that level. Where when you get one of those, that changes everything. You become the cutout on all the classrooms and all the black schools now. <laughs> for Black uh, History Month, you, you know are what? part of Black History that's, Month. That's Congratulations!
3: Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It 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 put things it puts things in perspective a lot. Um, and one thing I will say is that I uh, I'm on sabbatical this year. I work at college of Staten Island, so I mm-hmm. live in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got I came back here to be on sabbatical, and I got married to my lovely wife Kelly.
2: Absolutely. Uh, hey, Kelly.
3: Chicago, West Side, South Side too. Yes. And um, what what the great thing about it was to be here in Chicago on the hundredth anniversary of the birth of Gwendolyn Brooks, mm-hmm. and that that really. Like to me seemed um, seems kind of kind of kind of awesome. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm reading on the seventh in the Big Brooks. Day Right, for. right, right, right. I think I'm gonna be there. Yeah, and and I, I my I will tell the story that night. But the night I met Gwendolyn Brooks, <laughs> she looked at me and went. Hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, Gwynlyn Brooks doesn't like me. Oh, it was wow. fantastic, but she liked me. She was just messing. She used to do that. Yeah, she was yeah, like
4: yeah picking yeah.
2: people yeah she uh-huh, was she uh-huh. was something yeah, she was amazing. I got to meet her a couple times
3: um at the well, in Chicago state they used to have when mm-hmm. they had the black uh uh black literature festival there you know, I would go every year and she would be there. And I saw her a few times, you know, yeah, I, so I'm, I'm, I am I'm, feel fortunate that I got to meet her.
2: I, I think about her a lot and uh, yeah. just how her influence on people like Quraish mm-hmm. and my man B. Smith and a bunch of other people. Haki. Haki, just how she really was that voice for, for us. Yeah. And she was very generous. Yeah, <laughs> extremely. And I thought about her last night watching Kalan Phil Corrine. Mm. Um, how how he's ninety years old, man. You know, I
3: really wish I'd have, I'd have been able to make that. I wish <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have been there.
2: He he is still. Was that last night? amazing? Yeah, last evening. He's amazing. He's ama- So I want to I want to talk a little bit about uh, the book, of course, um, yeah. Oleo And I know how you are fond of the blues. Uh, you, you're profoundly fond fond of yeah. the blues. <laughs> um, but in, 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 before we talk about Oleo are there any parallels that we can make with this book and what's happening right now in our country? You think?
3: Well, you know, um, I think that the the parallels that happen is is, is it's, it's it's what the book is about uh, African American creatives, so uh, musicians, uh, visual artists, mm-hmm. um, comedians uh, in the years, pretty much. Just before and after the Civil War, up until uh, World War One, mm-hmm. so you're talking about uh, Black folks creating art for themselves against the backdrop of the height of the minstrel show, because uh, the minstrel show was really predominant throughout the 19th century and into the early 20th. But really, the the part of the issue is 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 the uh, is the way the minstrel show has uh, affected and shaped American culture and the way that African-American artists are still still struggling against the tropes of the minstrel show today mm-hmm. and the way we have to make decisions about our paths uh, on, a, on a regular basis regarding the attempts to minstrelize uh, ourselves and our work.
2: Mm. Yeah. When uh, when you were writing I mean how did how your writing process Is different than everybody's <laughs> I do know that for a fact So this book Not like uh, Revolution or like Lead Belly Different take Different thing A little bit more focused on a, a specific period of time What did, did you like Were you writing this when you were riding around on your bike? No uh, <laughs> You know I was,
3: really, I was trying to write a whole different book Then it never really happened mm. That I might have to come back to mm. But this book really uh started writing it in around uh 2009 2008 or so and uh uh it really started with a fascination or really a, a question in my mind about the history of black music before the uh dawn of recorded music. Mm. So in other words you know, like recorded the recorded music and the industrialization and the commercialization of of recorded music really didn't start until nineteen, thirteen, fourteen around that that time, roughly a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And but my question was, who were the the black musicians that were really predominant and really shaping the culture before that time? And it turned out I really didn't know many of their names. Hmm. So that led me to uh, like with Lead Belly. Mm-hmm. Like with Lead Belly was the book before Olio. Mm-hmm. Lead Belly was. <clears throat> was recorded in the 1930s for the most part but I was really curious as to who were the people that influenced him so that led me to people in in uh, genres like ragtime mm-hmm. so blind Tom who was uh, blind and autistic born in 1849 on a plantation in Georgia owned by the same slave owning family really throughout the entirety of his life until his death in the early part of the in the first decade of the uh, 20th century. Mm -hmm. Uh, Blind Boone, who was uh, 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 born in 1865 and at the age of six months caught encephalitis. Wow. And uh, encephalitis is is swelling of the brain. Yeah. And the only, you know, there were no real medicines to take care of that at the time. So in order to relieve the pressure on the brain, the doctor removed his eyes. Wow. Right. Right. Uh, but he, he went on to become a uh, really famous uh, ragtime musician. Wow! Uh, you know Sissy Retta Jones, who was the first uh, uh, black singer to sing at Carnegie Hall, really before it was called Carnegie Hall in 1892. Uh, the McCoy Twins, who were who were, uh <clears throat> pygopagus twins, that means they were they were essentially joined through the spine mm. from the bottom of the rib cage all the way through the pelvis. Uh, and they were born into slavery, 1849, and, and they, they toured through freak shows uh, for almost all of their life. But later on, were able to uh, gain enough capital to buy the plantation upon which their families had been slaves. Whoa. And that, that land stayed in the family for up to five generations. Some of them are still down there now. <clears throat> so, you know, all of these very interesting stories, that's just a few of the people that, that were in the book
2: you do something you you traditionally have done something with your um poetry that a lot of people uh i i won't speak for a lot of people that i i like um you you give first person accounts yeah of your your characters are you know this is this voice right, <laughs> right even right. with revolution right. um that person it, it's 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 him telling everybody about how the Chicago Bulls I'm going back y'all I'm sorry <laughs> I'm going way back to like one of my favorite books that I often tell young poets they should read first <laughs> the character or that voice is it's like somebody's on the mount you know right. you, you love the Chicago Bulls and that's cool right, right. but when you start loving the idea of your freedom as much as you love that
3: then what happens
2: what happens right. and then you can find out how freedom feels once you right. once you have that same kind of fervor for it right. and I think I think like like I see you uh, as one of those writers who has the the, the idea right about how a first-person account is supposed to be carried out on, on the page. That's not an easy thing to do. Right. It's right. taken me forever right. to figure it out. But I, 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 my liking your work has always been about the fact that I feel comfortable reading it, not just hearing you tell it. I love when you read your work, but I like reading it because I, I can hear that voice in it. That's a that's a deliberate move.
3: Yeah. It's, uh, um. Thank you so much.
2: Um. The, I never say the, these nice things about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad
3: I came on the radio. I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> the only time you're going to get to hear it. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, the poems, most, like, the the two books that I wrote uh, are... That were published by outside. The first book was self-published, right? Right, that which was, was like,
2: also a powerful moment in my my poetic history <laughs> to see that. That
3: was basically going
2: to the Xerox machine, right? You know, getting right, it done. yes, sir. But yes, the other sir. two
3: was uh, were Lead Belly and uh, this this one. They're all persona poems, mm-hmm. so they're in the voice of the people mm-hmm. at at various particular times in their in their lives. So that that just involves a lot of research about each of the people involved in in the that in the in the poems and going over the historical record multiple historical records and trying to uh determine which ones are more accurate since and, and and trying to get a sense of who is uh who is doing what when and how it affected them and how and how the their age the the age that they lived in affected them so that means just going through a lot of research and then trying to uh, arrive at a way to to capture the voice on the page.
1: Bad at Sports spoke with curator and artist Ionit Behar about her role at Spertus, the Institute for Jewish Learning and Leadership. Behar, who speaks six languages, spoke about curating Judaica and about art in general. Bad at Sports airs every Wednesday at 11 a.m.
5: And today we have been graced with the presence of Unit Bahar. Welcome to Hi, uh, the Co Prosperity Sphere and WLPN Inside. Inside <laughs> the copro. We're inside the copro, and um, outside there's concrete being poured. Lots yeah. of it. I- infrastructure is being yeah. is being created. Progress. Here in progress in in Chicago. More mm-hmm. on the construction update later. <laughs> <laughs> is that the tea? So let's uh, let's. Start off, uh, like, right square down the middle. Um, So uh, you've been here in Chicago for five years. You're over at UIC working on a PhD. You've got your finger in a number of different things, curating. You've got some projects going on. Let us in. What are you? What are you doing these days? That's
6: right. Definitely a lot of different things. Um, So I went to. I came to Chicago to go to grad school to SAIC. Um, I studied yes (laughs) with my uh, with Dana. So um, I I went to our history. I studied there, and I'm at UIC studying our history. I'm writing trying to write my dissertation on an Argentine artist from uh, the 1960s. Um, But um, I work at the Art Institute now as a researcher and as a curator at Spiritus Institute for Jewish Learning um, where I curated the first show and opened um, a a few weeks ago. Um, But I'm also involved in a uh, non-for-profit fieldwork collaborative projects and I can tell you more about that.
5: Well, We'll get to fieldwork in a second. And mm-hmm. so, um I mean, obviously, you just have a show going up at the Spiritus. What what do people see there?
6: People can see um, a show called Ben Shan, If Not Now, When. Uh, ben Shan, uh, many Americans know uh, him, um, or, um, you know, people in the arts might know him. Art historian. uh, historians. Art historians. <laughs> um, but he's one of sort of the icons of the uh, artists of the 20th century. And so... I am a curator of collections, so the exhibition um, is based on works from the Spiritus Collection, and uh, we are showing his latest works from the 1960s. So uh, there's two big sort of series of works, um, a civil rights portfolio and another portfolio, which is the sort of last work he made.
5: Excellent. Maybe we can broaden this out a little bit. for mm-hmm. people. Who, what's the Spiritist for people who are not familiar or haven't spiritus, graced at all? Yes,
6: sure. So um, it's, it opened in the 30s or in the late 20s, in 1928, um, as the sort of Chicago uh, College for Jewish Learning. So it was... The College uh, for Jewish Learning, where people would go to get uh, degrees or uh, mostly focused on sort of immigrants that would arrive to Chicago at that time, mostly from Europe, right? Uh, but then sort of us evolved, uh, changed, uh, opened a museum. You know, if I fast forward to the 60s and 70s here in Chicago, it opened a big museum, um, and in 2008, um, they moved to what is now Spiritist Institute of Jewish Learning, which is on Michigan Avenue, Michigan, and Harrison, right next to the Museum of Contemporary Photography, uh, Columbia College. Um, and there, Spiritist offers a variety of courses of Jewish leadership and entrepreneurship, um, you know, Jewish studies, um, and hosts lots of events. And they just open an art space, and that's what I'm basically doing now. Well, and yeah, that's mm-hmm.
7: what I was curious about is hearing how you came to the – because you are the first curator I've known of <laughs> at the spurtus, Even though they've done cultural programming and I've seen art shows there in the past, um, it feels like new <laughs>
6: It feels new. It feels new to me, for sure. Um, But they had a curator for uh, at least 10 years, um, and she was focused on a much more sort of backstage of things, sort of dealing with collections. And what that means is, you you know, accepting gifts and um, sort of preserving the collection um, but now is the first time that I think it's a public mm-hmm. thing that we are showing exhibitions and making it um available for people. Yeah. Well yeah, and it seems like I mean I want yeah, I
7: love I when I saw that Benchon was that the Spurtis was gonna be exhibiting right by Benchon, I felt like that was such an exciting like, you know, one of the art historical greats that you learn about and who I always like love those the drawings of the, tra- uh, the trash cans like shopping carts mm-hmm.
6: yes exactly and mm-hmm.
7: um and like this really angular tight work that's like having a new context right now and so I'm, yeah i'm curious to hear about the civil rights pieces and what's in them and mm-hmm. like how you guys are putting that forward as like a you know an exhibition that you want the public to come see outside of just like a, a jewish Identity Framework.
6: Yeah, so it's the first show that I'm doing there and I basically was offered with the option to show any kind of artwork in the collection and it goes from anything. I mean, it really goes from like Jewish, you know, ritual objects uh, from long, long time ago. (laughs) So they're all like very, you know, historical objects to everyday things like tablecloths and things that sort of immigrants brought with them from Europe to Chicago. And also... Amazing artworks um, by um, known and unknown artists. So, why I chose Ben Shahn and the show, it's called If Not Now When, <coughs> was because I saw that connection between his work from the 60s to today's world and sort of what we're living, especially here in the US. Um, and I thought it was important to bring that kind of work to a Jewish institution and sort of So Ben Shan is making work that it's connecting different communities. For example, the civil rights portfolio is um, composed by nine lithographs or nine prints, um, a portrait by uh, of Martin Luther King, which is very famous and was in the time in the cover of Time magazine at that time, and um, portraits of uh, three three old writes uh, martyrs like uh, Charney uh, and Goodman um, so he was very interested as a Jewish artist to still connect to this brother social political issues um, he was a so, an, an activist and I think he identified himself as an activist more than an artist um, so that was my connection on why to bring that kind of artwork to this space, which is very specific, right? It's a Jewish institution in Chicago. Um, so um, that's just one of the, the civil rights portfolio is just one of the artworks. Mm-hmm.
7: And so I don't know, because I think I've, people have been like bringing up Philip Gustin a lot. Recently, in his portraits of uh, Ronald Reagan, as kind of like a model way to think about like using art as a critique or something like that. And I'm and it's so like bringing Ben Sean and, and his work like into this conversation, I think is really interesting. One, because I don't like looking at portraits of Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. but I also, I yeah, I'm curious like how how artists who are coming from a Jewish perspective and have a very kind of specific history, especially in the 60s, like thinking about the closeness of World War II, um, like what that can tell younger artists or like another kind of visual language that you can use to think about activism or like working against oppression Mm -hmm. as an artist.
6: That's what I was kind of imagining, what Ben Shan would do now. Yeah, like what would uh, Ben Shan say if he was would, here? What kind of portfolios would he make? Um, but I, I see Ben Shan's type of think, political and and social engaged thinking, in many artists today, and perhaps in artists that we maybe our historians don't necessarily think are artists, like graphic designers that make posters for protests. Um, And we can see Ben Shan's sort of images in these posters now. For example, in the Women's March, um, there were these posters made that that showed hands um, sort of holding each other, um, four or five different hands. And Ben Shan made these these again. Uh, And so there's new versions of Shan's images of, like, Doves representing peace, or um, civil rights martyrs um, portraits that I think are still coming, coming back, which is in a way unfortunate, um, but we are very much stuck in the sixties. Of unfortunate because <laughs> of the need
5: to look back, is, is that? Yeah, I mean, you certainly see this as well. You see people reaching for you know, there's a lot more Hunter S. Thompson and Ralph Steadman appearing in some other totally. ways. Uh, as people are looking, you know, so maybe we're in the '60s, maybe we're in the early '70s. I don't know if that
6: mm-hmm. both are pretty grody.
5: Yeah, there's d- different.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: I might have to adapt my hair in different ways or something. I don't know.
6: Right, but Ben Shan mm-hmm. lived First World War, War Second War, and you know all the the civil rights. Mo- so he lived through these so many uh, sort of crises, and of course that influenced his practice. Um, and uh, one of the main projects that he did, which I thought was very relevant uh, for today's world was um, he spent many years traveling in the South um, taking photographs of workers and sort of documenting um, the South uh, lifestyle and the working conditions Um, and again unfortunately I I feel like there's connections um, with today's world in the US with that sort of documentation and his focus on that part of the country.
8: The Trump Diaries. This week Donald throws Israel under a bus while leaking highly classified intelligence to Russia. The FBI strongly disputes Trump's narrative over Comey's firing, Sean Spicer hides in the bushes, and the specter of impeachment rises after it is revealed Trump tried to get the FBI to drop its investigation into Russia. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 111, May 10th. Andrew G. McCabe, the acting director of the FBI, told the Senate that the White House's assertion that James Comey had lost the backing of rank and file FBI agents was false. McCabe said at the hearing, Director Comey enjoyed broad support within the FBI and still does to this day. The vast majority of FBI employees enjoyed a deep and positive connection to Director Comey. McCabe also called the ongoing investigation into Russian ties to the Trump campaign highly significant. Trump admitted yesterday he was thinking of the Russia probe when he fired James Comey. In related news, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein apparently threatened to resign after the White House said he was the reason James Comey was fired. Multiple outlets reported that just the day before, Trump told Sessions and Rosenstein to find a reason in writing to sack Comey. The White House claimed it was unaware that the Deputy Attorney General threatened to quit. And Jason Chafetz, head of the House Oversight Committee, has asked the Inspector General to expand the Russia probe to include Comey's firing. And the Senate voted to uphold an Obama-era climate change regulation to control the release of methane from oil and gas wells on public land. Senators John McCain, Lindsey Graham, and Susan Collins broke with their party to join Democrats and defeat the resolution. And the Department of Homeland Security is considering banning laptops and other large electronic devices from carry-on bags on flights from Europe. That would extend a limited ban that was put in place in March. The ban was put in place after intelligence showed that ISIS was developing a bomb that could be hidden in portable electronic devices. And in the latest bizarre incident involving the White House press secretary, Sean Spicer apparently hid in a clump of bushes to avoid speaking to reporters about the firing of FBI Director James Comey. The problem was that Spicer was easily spotted by the press corps and after a strange few minutes, Spicer emerged to answer questions on the condition that he was not filmed while doing so. Said Spicer, just turn the lights off, turn the lights off, we'll take care of this, can you just turn that light off? Spicer hiding in the bushes has become a popular internet meme with people making photocopies of Spicer's face and hiding it in garden stores. Day 112, May 11th. Trump launched a long promised commission on so-called election integrity, a panel on voter fraud that many consider a sham. The commission established by executive order comes after Trump falsely claimed more than three million undocumented immigrants illegally voted in November's election, denying him a win in the popular vote. Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, who has aggressively pursued allegations of voter fraud in the state, will serve as vice chairman of the commission. Kobach has spent millions of dollars pursuing voter fraud and has only maintained nine convictions in his state day 113. May 12th. Hackers using a tool stolen from the United States government conducted extensive cyber attacks. The hackers disrupted Britain's public health system, locked up computers in 74 countries, and put hospitals in Britain in severe form. The attacks aimed to at blackmail computer users by seizing their data in Britain that blocked doctors' access to patient files and forced emergency rooms to divert people seeking urgent care. Kaspersky Lab, a Russian cybersecurity firm, said it had recorded at least 45,000 attacks again on 74 countries. And Trump warned James Comey against leaking anything negative about the president via Twitter. He also said he may cancel future White House briefings. Trump finally suggested there may be secret tapes of his conversations with Comey that could be used to counter the former FBI director if necessary. Democrats expressed shock. Trump of course accused President Obama baselessly of wiretapping Trump Tower. Sean Spicer refused to say if Trump is taping conversations in the overall office. The president has nothing further to add on that, Spicer said, repeating the answer or some variation of it several more times as reporters pressed during the daily briefing and the New York Times reported that Trump demanded loyalty from Comey and when he did not get it, he let him go. Trump also explicitly referenced the ongoing investigation into Russian ties as a reason to can the director. Trump shifted his explanations on Comey again later in the day, claiming to NBC, quote, this Russia thing is a made up story. Trump said the investigation, quote, is an excuse by the Democrats for having lost an election that they should have won. In fact, many FBI agents had supported Trump before Comey's firing. Attorney General Jeff Sessions is directing federal prosecutors to seek the most serious criminal charges against drug suspects, a move that is expected to reverse the recent declines in the overcrowded federal prison system. The move puts back in place a system of mandatory minimum sentencing rules and is said to have angered Trump. His son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is reportedly working on prison reform. And in a story too rich to be believed, the lawyers who claim Trump has no ties to Russia was named Russian law firm of 2016. Morgan Lewis Tax Partners said that a review of Trump's last 10 years of tax returns didn't show, quote, any income of any type from Russian sources save for some income from the 2013 Miss Universe pageant that was held in Moscow, as well as a property sold to a Russian billionaire in 2008 for $95 million. The attorneys did not release copies of Trump's tax returns. Day 114 May 13th. The Ninth Circuit Court, off criticized by Trump, will hear a challenge to Trump's stillborn Muslim ban. Again, the panel will now hear a challenge to Hawaii judge's decision to halt the revised travel ban that was struck down in part due to Trump's record of calling for banning Muslims from entering the USA. And Trump threatened to cancel all future press briefings, quote, for the sake of accuracy, saying it's, quote, not possible to always tell the truth. Sean Spicer, befuddled, declined to say later in the afternoon whether or not Trump had decided to stop holding daily news briefing, saying that Trump is, quote, a little dismayed about what Trump claims is the unwillingness of reporters to focus on the policy actions of his administration. Firing the FBI director, of course, is a policy action of the administration. And The Washington Post reports that Trump does not exercise. Trump believes that exercising too much uses up the body's finite energy. Trump apparently believes the human body is like a battery with a finite amount of energy which exercise only depletes. Day 115, May 14th. Axios reports that Trump is considering a huge reboot that could take out everyone from Rince Priebus and Stephen Bannon to counsel Don McGahn and Press Secretary Sean Spicer. Trump is also considering shuffling his cabinet. A source told Axios, quote, he's frustrated and angry at everyone. Trump's friends are telling him that top aides don't know how to work with him and that his approval ratings aren't falling while leaks are rising. And the Wall Street Journal reports that Senate Republicans are seeking steep cuts to Medicaid. The plan could drop millions of people from coverage and reduce programs for the poor. Republicans are also considering slashing more than $400 billion in spending on food stamps, welfare and even veterans benefits through reconciliation that would avoid a Democratic filibuster. The budget moves are sleight of hand. Medicaid cuts would simply shift costs onto local hospitals in the states and North Korea launched an intermediate-range ballistic missile on Sunday, the first test since a new president took office in South Korea this past week and called for a dialogue with the North. The White House said in a statement the test served, quote, as a call for all nations to implement far stronger sanctions against Pyongyang. And alt-right leader Richard Spencer led a large group of demonstrators carrying torches and chanting, you will not replace us, on Saturday in Charlottesville, Virginia, protesting plans to remove a Confederate monument. What brings us together is that we are white, we are a people, and we will not be replaced, Spencer said in an afternoon protest, the first of two rallies he led in the town. At the second rally, dozens of torch-bearing protesters gathered in a city park and chanted, you will not replace us, and Russia is our friend. Spencer tweeted a photo of himself standing in the crowd, carrying what appeared to be a bamboo tiki torch. Day 116, May 15th. The Supreme Court rejected an appeal to reinstate North Carolina's voter identification law. A lower court had said the law had targeted African Americans with almost surgical precision. The Supreme Court's ruling strikes down the law's photo ID requirement and the scaling back of early voting. And the New York Times are reporting that Senate Republicans, unnerved by Trump's volatility and unpopularity, are starting to break away from him. Several Republicans openly questioned Trump's decision to fire the FBI director this past week. Others were upset when Trump seemed to then threaten Comey not to leak negative information about him. James Clapper, Jr., a former director of national intelligence, said on Sunday that he found the firing of Comey to be very disturbing and that the country's systems of checks and balances was under assault by the White House. Clapper said on CNN that America's democratic institutions were being attacked externally, a reference to Russia's interference in the election last year, and internally. Clapper was asked, quote, internally from the president. Mr. Clapper replied, exactly. And the host of MSNBC's Morning Joe reported that Kellyanne Conway claimed she, quote, needed a shower after stumping for then-candidate Trump in private conversations. Micah Brzezinski said during Monday's broadcast that she heard Conway denounce the candidate in private after promoting him on television. She would get off the air, the camera would be turned off, the microphone be taken off, and she would say, Black, I need to take a shower because she disliked her candidate so much. Joe Scarborough echoed those statements, saying that Conway said after being interviewed, she'd only taken the job with Trump for the money. And the Washington Report and the Washington Post is reporting that Trump revealed highly classified information to Russian diplomats during their Oval Office meeting last week, jeopardizing a critical source of intelligence in the Islamic State. A U.S. official said Trump, quote, revealed more information to the Russian ambassador than we have shared with our own allies. There was no immediate explanation for this gaffe. Lawmakers expressed shock and concern with harsh words from Trump's own party. Senator Bob Corker, a Republican, said they are in a spiral right now. Day 117, May 16th. In an explosive revelation, the Times is reporting that Trump asked the FBI director, James Comey, to shut down the federal investigation into disgraced former national security adviser, Michael Flynn. Comey documented that request in a memo. Trump told Comey, quote, I hope you can let this go. This memo is the clearest evidence that Trump directly tried to influence the FBI's investigation in the links between Trump's campaign and Russian interference. Representative Jason Chavez of Utah, a Republican and the chairman of the House Oversight Committee immediately demanded that the FBI turn over all memos, notes and recordings of discussions between Trump and Comey. The scandal may represent obstruction of justice by Trump. And it was revealed the highly classified information Trump cavalierly leaked to Russian figures was from Israel, straining a long-term relationship with a key U.S. ally. That revelation is Israel's, quote, worst fears confirmed as it raises the possibility the information could be passed to Iran, Russia's close ally, and Israel's main threat in the Middle East. Trump defended his decision to share ISIS intelligence with Russia, tweeting that he had, quote, an absolute right to do so in the interest of fighting terrorism. The problem is that Trump's tweets undercut Rex Tillerson and H.R. McMaster, who had called the report that Trump revealed highly classified information to Russia false. Now, multiple sources are reporting the Trump White House is in a state of siege. Aides fear leaving Trump alone with his guests. Trump has also reportedly called his aides incompetent. And the New York Times, in a damning report, said that three administration officials conceded that they could not publicly divulge the most compelling and honest reason for Trump's damaging behavior. That Trump, who is a hasty and indifferent reader of his briefings, simply does not possess the interest or the knowledge of the granular details of intelligence gathering to actually leak specific sources and methods of intelligence gathering that would harm American allies. Day 118th, May 17th. Representative Justin Amash, a Republican from Michigan who last week became the first Republican to express support for an independent investigation into the Trump-Russia matter, said Wednesday that if the details reported this week are true, it could be grounds for impeachment. He is the first Republican congressman to broach impeachment of Donald Trump. And in a stunning development, the Justice Department has appointed Robert S. Miller III, the former FBI Director, to serve as a special prosecutor to oversee its investigation into ties between Trump and Russian meddling in the election. The appointment of Mueller by Robert Rosenstein, the Deputy Attorney General, who Trump claimed gave the rationale for firing James Comey in the first place, puts Trump into severe legal jeopardy and dramatically raises the stakes on this fast-moving story. Trump lashed out on Twitter, calling it a witch hunt. And the New York Times revealed also that Michael Flynn told the Trump transition team weeks before the inauguration that he was under federal investigation for not declaring work as a lobbyist for Turkey, according to two people familiar with that case. Despite the warning, Flynn was named national security Advisor, and of course was fired less than a month into the job. Immigration arrests are up by 38 percent in the first three months of the Trump administration compared with the same period last year, according to figures released last night. ICE officers arrested 41,318 people at a rate of more than 400 people per day. And Roger Ailes, the man who helped Richard Nixon and Donald Trump reach the presidency, as well as the architect of Fox News, died suddenly at 77. Ailes was sacked from Fox after a wave of sexual harassment allegations. And a Quinnipiac poll put Trump's approval rating at a near historic low of 39 percent. The poll also found only 29% of people approved of the firing of James Comey, as FBI director, and that 61% think Trump is dishonest. 538's poll also has Trump dipping below 40% for the first time since his inauguration. These are the Trump Diaries.
1: Radio Free Bridgeport brought on musician and lumpen DJ Sir Lawrence Peters to talk about making money off music, labels, and the songwriting process. Lawrence and guitarist Matt Gendernski also played new music off a forthcoming release. Peter spins tunes every Wednesday drive time on Country My Way from 4 to 6 p.m. Radio Free, with John Daly, Ed Marzuski, and Jamie Trecker, airs every Tuesday at 4 p.m.
4: You were just listening to Wishful Drinking. Lawrence Peters and Matt are here in the studio, and thank you guys very much. Thanks for having us. Some new material coming out, and uh, you guys are in the process of creating it right now. You were just talking a little bit about... Uh, the studio you guys are using here in the city. Yeah. That's and the, uh, the magical machine that will record it all.
8: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <great. laughs> yes, indeed. What do you guys want to accomplish with the next album? What are you trying to put out there?
0: Oh, well, what do we want to accomplish? Um, uh, you know, I've got I've got some lofty goals, which are completely unrealistic and probably won't happen. It'd be great if it got some, some play somewhere on the radio, besides here or, you know, whatever. Um, it'd be nice if, uh, it's, it's kind of a sad thing that this is where the music world has ended up. But uh, it'd be real cool if we could get you know like a, like a movie slot or uh, you know even a commercial would be cool. It, it's, it you know when I was a, a youngster I used to really think of that stuff as selling out and I thought it was the worst thing ever. But sadly it's about the only way you can make money as a musician anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's the sad reality. I, I'd like to be able to have something to live on besides cat food when I turn old enough that I can't bartend or whatever anymore,
8: you know? (laughs) I mean, does that, does that bum you out that the the commercial industry is really now the only place people don't seem to want to pay for music and, uh, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I understand that that there's that whole perspective of like, you know, music, everybody should have access to it. It should just be completely available, whatever. Sure. I mean, we're all used to just having access to music all the time and it's super important. To me, it's, it's like air and water and food. I, I, I wouldn't want to go a day without hearing music of some kind. Um, but the downside is that the people who actually make music, uh, are just getting the shaft in a big fat way. And it's been really rough to watch that. And I know people who tour and, uh, you know, now the, the theory for, from people that don't know is like, oh, well, you know, you play shows and you, you make your money from playing shows or you go on tour and you make your money from going on tour. Like, well, yeah, in theory, but you know, you have to be out like, three quarters of the year to even get label interest for the most part. And, and then if you do tour all the time, then, you know, that's, that's your life, which is great. Like I would actually love to tour all the time, honestly, but I think it's still pretty marginal unless you really get an incredible following, you know? And then even then, if you're on a tour, like, you don't, you never know if people are going to buy your merch. Right. So, and, and generally you have to, um, you have to press a record on vinyl. I mean, that's been my experience anyway, is you have to go that extra step for people to really take you seriously
8: And how much does it, I mean, does it matter being on a label now or not? Is that, does that help you or does it help you at all? Well,
0: yeah, I think it does. I mean, I think, I think that, um, I think there are certain opportunities that you're unlikely to get if you're not on a recognized label. Um, even something that's maybe smallish but, but has a track record, you know. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to get into certain certain opportunities if you don't have label backing and the thing that's that's great about labels that you know people have poo-pooed for a long time they're like oh labels ruin music and it's it you know there's a there's some truth to that but but the the positive side of that is that if you know if you had a label backing you up then theoretically they're promoting your record for you and doing a lot of the busy work so they they get paid for that like they take money out of the sales but it behooves them to get your record out to the world and get people listening to it so you benefit from that and And then theoretically, you make some money off of that, you know, and then you get some other opportunities. Like, I don't think you necessarily are going to, like, I don't know anybody who's making a fortune off of being on a a label, but at least um, you get doors open to you that you wouldn't have otherwise. And then you can kind of string along uh, opportunities until it becomes something viable.
4: And maybe offsetting some of that cost that you said, you know, just the the time and hours that it takes. uh, More importantly, that that translates into dollars uh, on the road.
0: Yeah. And um, uh, I think maybe even more importantly is like, so, you know, I have a, I have a regular job and then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the chief cook and bottle washer of Lawrence Peters outfit. So I write all the songs and I book all the shows and I wrangle the cats with this <laughs> joker and, uh, <laughs> you know, make the flyers and get the posters made if we get fancy posters and like all that kind of stuff. And um, it's just a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, it's just an amazing amount of work. Like um, We've actually been lucking out. This year has been great. Um, actually, the last two years, we've been getting a lot of, of really cool opportunities, like playing a bunch of a bunch more City of Chicago stuff. Like We're playing Summer Dance this year. We played Taste of Chicago last year. We're doing uh, this thing in uh, um, at the Na- at Navy Pier in, uh, I think, August, and that's going to be really cool.
8: Um, it'll be around 110 degrees, so I don't think it'll be cool.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well at least we'll be on the water. So that's true. it's cooler by the lake, buddy. Yeah, well. It's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> it's all a right. thing. But um but you know, I've had to sign like all, the, all these contracts. I've to so I've developed this knowledge of of music, law, mm-hmm. ease, you know. go through and figure out what's what's legit and what's not, and then make you know, ask questions if I think something's not legit. So it's it's just a, a lot of work. And yeah. it's not my it's not my spot, you know. It's I'm just I'm not that's not my brain. I'm not the guy that likes writing grants and that kind of stuff. You know, I, I'd rather be spending my time writing songs and preparing for shows and listening to records and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, in order for us to be anywhere nearly as successful, quote unquote, as we are, you know, that, that's what we have to do.
4: For those listening or, or musicians out there, are there any resources that you found around intellectual property that can help others or have you found particularly useful?
0: Um, Besides well, trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I haven't actually submitted anything from the any of, any Lawrence Peters outfit stuff to any licensing places. Um, but I, I was in uh, Marcaribay um, when they recorded their first record, and there was a song from that record that ended up in a commercial. I can't remember what the car; it was a car commercial, and we all got a nice paycheck. It was really cool. Um, and then uh, Velcro Lewis Group got a a. a A song in uh shameless last year which was also really cool that is cool yeah um but when the record this is another thing about the the sort of the time and complication of wearing all the hats in a in a band is that when that first lawrence peter's outfit record came out um it was man it was all i could do just to get the thing finished and out there like i still owe people kickstarter stuff and that's been years now so I mean that gives you an idea, and and that's not where I want to be. Like I'm, I don't want to be that guy, um, and I just like I really wanted to get it, like to throw it out some licensing licensing agencies, and I just didn't have the time or the mental capacity to do it. It was just too much. It was just overwhelmed. Yeah. So I th- I think with this next one, like I, I learned so much from that first one. It was like a, it was like a really expensive, uh you know, education. It was it was like going to school for music. Music. it's like going to Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like a, it was like going to a crappy expensive junior college is what it was like. So, so uh, so now I know like I have I've got stuff pretty well laid out and I know kind of what I'm doing. Like I've got certain things that on my list that I've got to get done before the record is finished so that when it actually does come out, I'll have things in place gotcha. so that we'll get some some press, hopefully we'll get some some uh, some write-ups cuz we didn't really get any I mean, getting write-ups about the record, really, except for from Monica Kendrick, which was really cool. But that was yeah. about it.
4: Give us a little bit of a rundown of the accompaniment on the the new album, starting with Present Company.
0: Yeah, so Matt's Matt's my, he's my right hand man. Although he's he's Left a left-handed hand. guy, he's my left-handed right hand man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's my Don Rich mm-hmm. to my to my Buck Owens, <laughs> if you will. Um, yeah, so Matt plays uh, he plays lead guitar and is um, pretty thoroughly acknowledges the best guitar player in Chicago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least the best country guitar player in Chicago. Huh? Oh, stop. Uh, and then I got... <laughs> I start a Twitter war. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, you're the best. No, you are. Um, and then I got uh, I got Dave Sisson playing rhythm guitar and he's deeply dyed-in-the-wool country lover, so he just knows all the tricks. It's really cool. He just throws stuff in there and I'm like, whoa, that's exactly right. I didn't even think about that. And he's a good uh, harmony singer. And then Josh Pyatt, he's the he's the anchor he's the upright bass player and he's he plays with the hoyle brothers and he's played with a bazillion other bands over the years he's just really rock solid so i got those guys and then um gerald Dowd is coming in to uh play drums in this uh up- upcoming session so he's and he plays with robbie folks and he was in the uh, the he played with me and kelly kessler in the wichita shut-ins back a bazillion years ago he was the the drummer in that band for a long time it was very cool. It's good. Yeah, it's gonna it's be great. Awesome. And then I'm gonna bring some pedal steel in and some fiddle and some banjo and I get some um you know, some some other backing vocalists besides Dave that I'm thinking about the, for certain songs and it's gonna be fun. Pedal steel, like all the the whole nine yards. We're gonna go all out.
8: Let's get you set up and uh once again this is Lawrence Peters right here on Radio Free Bridgeport. Let's
0: do uh, yeah, let's do we'll do wishful. Let's do wishful wish drink. All right, this is another one of the newer ones.
9: Okay. I want to want to 4 for drinking Let me keep thinking that I can bring you back But well, when I don't wanna face the fact You've been gone so long You ain't ever gonna come back home Lately I've been wishful drinking all the time Another day at work, another night alone Another hour of fighting back, the urge to pick up the phone But even if I called you up, the thing I'm wanting to happen could never come true Still the one that I want, but not the you of today. And though my realist is in charge, a romantic looks for a way. To conjure up a different world, where the best version of you and I won the day. The only method that I found is the farthest thing from sound, and that's wishful. Great. Let's me keep thinking that I can bring you back. Oh, when I don't wanna face the fact that you've been gone so long, you ain't ever gonna come back home. Oh, well, lately I've been wishful, drinking all the time. Back in sure use a drink to clear my head of reasoning and let in whatever foolishness it wants to think to get this lonely old heart unbound i'm going in for another round of wishful drinking it lets me keep thinking that i can bring you back Oh, and I don't want to face the fact You've been gone so long You ain't ever gonna come back home Oh, lately I've been wishful drinking all the time Oh, lately I've been wishful drinking all the time
1: And Anana Upton sang a jaw-dropping version of P.A.J. Zoo from Requiem, by Gabriel Four, also on Mario Smith's show this week, Upton is with AXO. More information on that group and their fundraising efforts is at actsochicagosouthside.org. That's axochicagosouthside.org. All
2: right, so let's uh, move over. Is this? Hey, what's happening? Hey, there I am. manually. I can't. That's okay. You know, there you go. My man Brian Hudson is here. Brian Hudson is one of the uh, uh, people responsible for a lot of what happened at the Southside Axo uh, Axo Southside Chicago this year and and years past. He is the uh, what is your title there?
8: I am the Axo chair.
2: There, he's the chairman of
8: Axo, the NAACP Chicago Southside Branch.
2: And I had the wonderful pleasure of uh, of hosting the awards show. Um, and I, I I cannot begin to tell you how moved I was. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, I mean it. I was, It was a very emotional thing to see these young people doing all this great stuff. And um, this was actually the prelude to them going to Baltimore to participate in the national competition of AXO. And Brian Hudson is here to talk about it. And we have, oh, y'all aren't ready. <laughs> Let me introduce her in a second. This young lady walked out of there with like 5,000 medals <laughs> and like 4,000 of them were gold. Um, let's let's introduce.
10: Oh, well, uh, hello, everyone. Um, my name is Anana Upton.
2: You do know that because your voice is so amazing <laughs> that you may have to delay the pediatrician thing for like maybe a week or two. Why you make these Grammy award winning hits
10: we'll see hey I've heard of a doctor that uh, six months uh, six months out of year she worked and then six months out of the year she went on tour so yeah, that, I, you I, never I, know I actually
2: know a couple of folks who are uh, who who are in the entertainment business whose other job is like mm-hmm. amazing you're like man that's what you do for a living that'd be hmm. awesome hey yeah. double life why not make it happen <laughs> who, who said you only have to too, have one man. career yeah
8: she acts too. Oh, you act as
2: well? Yeah.
10: Yes, I won gold for in the acting category. Gee, that's I what did. I'm talking about. You showing never... off now. <laughs> Does it, you know,
2: <laughs> got to do all that. Anana Upton, y'all, her voice is remarkable. I'm going to turn all these mics down a little bit and let her go. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Anana Upton. Y'all not ready for this. This is Anana Upton.
10: We'll stop yeah that's it. enough, that's yeah. enough. <laughs> can't give him too much can't yeah. give, can't give, can't give too him much. too much no, no. no. I had some cheese sticks before that i wasn't
1: ready <laughs> 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 the lumpen week in review is produced by the staff and volunteers of wlpn lp chicago the community radio of the future the week in review is edited and engineered by logan bay the lumpen theme background and interstitial music is by mike perkins Lumpin' Radio Sting by Dan Jugal. Voiceovers by Ed Marzuski, Jamie Trecker, and Shanna Volt. For more information on Lumpin' Radio, visit lumpinradio.com. Lumpin' Radio broadcasts on 105.5 FM in the Chicago area and worldwide via lumpinradio.com.